Hey team, welcome back to The Pillars. I'm Dr. Reed in the studio here with... Chaplain Jim. And... Dr. Jerry. This week, we're going to talk about toxic workplaces. Whether you're at the bottom of the organization or at the top, you can have an influence on, on whether your organization is toxic or thriving. So we're going to talk about what that looks like and what you can do at all different levels to help make your workplace as beneficial to you, your well-being, and the performance as possible. Probably first and foremost, we're going to need to unpack that term a little bit, but I think when we're talking about toxic workplaces, Jerry, we're talking about uh, workplaces where people are not thriving, where they're mm -hmm. uh, generally dissatisfied or unhappy in some way. Right? Th that's correct. And I think it goes beyond just mere dissatisfaction. There's actually something that's pervasively negative going mm -hmm. on in the workplace where, uh, like you said, it's not just that people aren't thriving, it's that they're um, becoming denigrating towards each other. Mm. And there's a lot of uh, negativity flowing back and forth between people. The, col the whole culture has become, uh, we say toxic, but really poisonous in nature uh. to where, you know, you not, not only just don't look forward to coming to work, but uh, you may actually be afraid to come in because you know it's just going to drag you down. It's going to be a bad experience all around. Mm. So you're even describing situations where it may not just be uh, easy to point the finger at somebody else, but you've been so affected by the environment that you yourself are maybe becoming toxic or not your best self and contributing to the problem in some way. Absolutely. And one of the biggest signs of a toxic work environment is cynicism. Mm. And that's, um, I think, for the individuals who are trying to uh, make their way through a difficult work uh, workplace, when they become cynical and really pessimistic, um, usually there's a lot more that's been going on for an extended period of time within that workplace culture contributing to that. Usually doesn't happen overnight. And so um, a handful of the things that will um, contribute to that cynical perspective and um, really a, a loss of self-efficacy are uh, gossiping or the formation of, of different cliques within a workplace, uh, a lot of aggressive interpersonal action, maybe some bullying behavior, um, poor communication, unclear expectations, especially from the top down, um, more of an authorita authoritative dictatorial management style, a lot of micromanagement, so uh, people aren't given a lot of autonomy or freedom to make decisions or conduct their work without feeling like they're under a, a microscope. And then as a result of this, you're going to see a lot of poor uh, coping behaviors um, from everybody who's just trying to make it in this very stressful work environment. So a lot of people skipping out on work, um, higher incidence of illness, um, and that could be both real and faked. Uh, I mean, when you're in a stressful work situation like that, your immune system can become compromised, and so you may succumb to uh, illness more frequently. Or you just fake an illness because you want to get out of work. Don't want to be there. Yeah. Not recommending that. Um, You'll see favoritism and, and uh, people kind of uh, finding ways to navigate the, the workspace, more in your highly emotional, intelligent folks, uh, kind of figuring out how the system works and taking advantage um, of it uh, so they can get a leg up on other people. So you, you see a lot of infighting, a lot of competition, um, a lot of manipulation going on that's either overt or covert. Um, and then some people just struggling to, to try to get ahead um, as a result of this may, may uh, develop into workaholism. Um, hmm. People going, trying to go above and beyond so that they can you know, be the top dog or get the, the top strat, uh, the, the must promote, whatever that is. And so um, any, any situation like this, you're going to see people who are just you know, dropping left and right. You know, either, either they're 
uh, quitting or just kind of giving up or uh, maybe the the opposite. They've uh, resolved themselves, just kind of stick it out, but they have no fire and no passion anymore. Um, and, and this leads to, to a lot of unhealthy coping behaviors too. Um, alcohol, tobacco, and caffeine are some of the most common ways that people will um, you know, cope, not just to get a mood boost, but to maybe uh, counteract some of the effects of that prolonged stress response. And I've even heard people describe these toxic workplaces as somewhat traumatic. Mm. Uh, and I think over a long period of time, they, they can be, and just that they wear you down and, and cause this chronic stress for you. Now, Chaplain Jim, yeah. you were... Oh, I you have were, one. You were talking oh, about, great. yeah, a situation. So, so I have to lower my levels for the podcast, got it. Uh, but the bottom line is I, I was outside of the Air Force, to be clear for this. I was working as a federal civilian in an agency. Okay. And I was promoted on the same day as a peer. He was put over me. I was put in a section under him. And he'd been known of being kind of a mean person. He yelled a lot at people just randomly. Well, his work style and his leadership style caused a toxic work environment very mm. quickly in a very high-functioning area. It was okay. pretty impressive to see how bad leadership can truly cause a problem. So he comes in and would start yelling at folks randomly. We would do an assignment, mm. and he would go around and talk to the customer and change it mm. and send emails out after circumventing our authority. He would routinely bring people to tears, even folks from other mm. countries who are working with us, like just absolutely denigrate, yell, et cetera. Now, I tried a number of tactics to try to work with him, and, I, and I'm really just doing a like a very high level of what this guy was doing, but it was just exceptionally poor leadership and very, very toxic. And I actually began to doubt myself, thinking maybe mm. I am actually a terrible person and a terrible employee, because he would say these things so often. I said, maybe I'm bad. And so you started so, to internalize it. I did, and I started working longer, like you said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had so much stress and anxiety coming into work, I began to run or bike to or from work to try to work off that stress, plus yeah. a workout. Mm -hmm. Was not working over-caffeinated, and uh, what was funny is I tried talking with him. I'd go up to him one-on-one and say, hey man, you know, perhaps you shouldn't just come in and like start like screaming at people. Like It's not a good first measure with mm -hmm. people. And he would just like lose his mind on me. It was just really interesting. So trying to approach him with compassion just didn't work. And a certain apathy does come in. Now I would consider myself a high performer, but at some point I would say, why am I, why am I even here? Um, one thing that highlighted the situation, which was just so comical, um, I had tried interacting with him one-on-one -on -one several times with him and another supervisor, and just overall he would reject everything. Mm -hmm. One day he came over, sits me at a table with another peer, and he starts outlining why I'm the worst human being ever, like on paper. And I'm wow. sitting there reading it on paper thinking like, oh my gosh, like maybe I am this person. Now I know myself pretty well, but I had over about mm -hmm. an eight month period had such significant doubts because when someone's telling you you're a terrible person, you, you take it. So I can't make this up. I'm at the table similar to where we are, three yeah. people, and around the corner and back of us pops this colonel, this Fulberg colonel, and he goes, hey, are you Jim? And I go, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm Jim. And I'm like, why are you here? And he's the commander of this facility of about 3,500 people. He goes, oh, you're the employee of the year. Congratulations. And he pulls me out. <laughs> I get photos with all the leadership of my agency right there. And I come back to this table where the two are sitting there I'm sorry, with this black. <laughs> and I did. I said, what were you saying? And they just stormed off. Like, they, I couldn't oh, believe it. My so goodness. how I escaped it, because I tried a number of tactics, and there are helping agencies, organizations within the Air Force. So if you do have a problem, go to EO talk to your leadership if it doesn't work you know find one of our organizations to come to us uh, what I ended up doing which is kind of comical I got a phone call the next day from our deployments manager she said hey Jim I know you de deployed before 
to volunteer deployment. Um, we've had two successful people who've been injured on this location. We can't say where it is, will you go? And I said, yes. And she goes, shouldn't you check with your wife? She knows my wife. And I said, yes, I should. I can go. And <laughs> then she goes, when can you leave? And I said, tomorrow. <laughs> I still remember this wow. conversation. It was very quick. And I was out the door a week later. And it was mm -hmm. I, I would have rather gone versus stay in that environment. because And the anxiety was way less there during the fighting years than there. So when people come to us with toxic environments, I empathize with them because that kind of experience, having experienced wartime environments and also CONUS, like a person who comes in can cause an environment that takes high performers working together and they work against each other. Absolutely. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of this right now just in the way that we are evaluating um, both officers and enlisted folks now um, with our, our annual evaluation systems. There, It has um, indirectly, I think, created a lot of infighting and, and um, an unhealthy level of competition in certain environments. Certainly not all of them, but maybe uh, certain units that were already kind of predisposed to some toxicity um, didn't benefit from that. And it sounds like you, Chaplain Jim, experienced um, what sound, sounded like an abusive relationship. It really did sound <laughs> I like I mean, that. you were being gaslighted and, and manipulated. I was, but yeah. so was everyone. And the problem with it is when that's happening in an organization by a leader, people start fighting against each other and they right. gossip to say, well, I better right. stay on the good side of him because maybe I won't get yelled at today, which is really funny. And unfortunately, that still exists. Even within the federal government, those people do exist. Now, we've gotten better. I don't want to say all federal employees are like that. In fact, many are most are very, very hard working folks. Yeah. Um, so just letting you know, if you do have that experience, please seek help and get um, other organizations involved. Yeah, I was thinking about Jerry, when you were kind of rattling off some of the signs and symptoms uh, earlier on about toxic workplaces, it occurred to me that this isn't a, necessarily a linear thing, right? Some mm -hmm. of those signs and symptoms, in fact, themselves become drivers of toxic workplaces. And, sure. you know, you, I, I got stuck on clicks. You talked about clicks being one of the, and you know, I was trying to, I don't know why I was being defensive of clicks in my mind, but you would think in, in one sense, like a click could be a kind of coping mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. Or it starts off as an opportunity to kind of talk about a shared experience from a, a shared kind of perspective. With an in-group. Right, with an in-group. And then, you know, but depending on what's going on in the environment, that click could be perceived by outsiders mm -hmm. as, uh, as potentially threatening to a status quo or something. And yeah. Um, yeah. When it, when it's when the we call it a click, well, let's just call it a, a group of folks, a you know a, a network yeah. within an organization. When that starts to become exclusive, um, that's when the a click starts to form and and can really rub people the wrong way. Um, and so that's kind of what we would want to keep away from. And I, I think you're you're absolutely right. There is some resilience in um, bonding with people who, who have a shared yeah. set of experiences and you know maybe who are ex are going through the same difficulties and, and challenges that you are. You also use the word trauma, which I know is not one that we like to throw around lightly. But right. you know it occurs to me when you think about some of the longer term impacts of having worked in some of these environments, it can start to look like a trauma, at least in the sense that it can really change your worldview or your your view of what work environments can be like or should be like. And, and who knows? Uh, who's to say that you couldn't carry some of those attitudes with you into subsequent workplaces? You may not be available uh, in another duty assignment because you've been sort of burned or jaded and mm -hmm. so you don't show up to that job uh, with your kind of best self or your best intentions because you're still ailing, recovering. You know, maybe you have been quote unquote traumatized by a previous sure. experience. So what's the antidote? And, and that's the big question here. And, and I want to approach this from two separate directions. I want to focus on um, 
the leadership component, mm -hmm. because even Chaplain Jim, as you mentioned, um, a lot of this can start at the, the the higher leadership levels and then trickle down to the employees. Doesn't always happen that way, but I think that underscores that uh, leaders have a, a big responsibility to monitor the the status of their uh, of their work centers and to make sure that it's not devolving into a toxic work center. Uh, but then we will also talk about the the rest of the employees, the people who um, maybe they feel like they are under the, the thumb of a toxic leadership group. What do you do on that aspect? So I'd like to start with the leaders first. And I truly believe that, or, or I want to believe that none of our leaders across the Air Force um, really want to have a toxic environment. They don't want to develop or, or promote toxicity. And so, you know, when this does happen, it may be because of things that they're um, doing or not doing. And the good news is that um, we can make some relatively simple changes to reverse some of these trends. Well, before I get into the specifics, I want to talk about a, um, a, an influential guy by the name of Douglas Conant, who took over as the president and CEO of Campbell's Soup in 2001. And uh, apparently he walked into a very toxic work environment where there are a lot of dissatisfied um, employees, very dysfunctional management, uh, no trust at all between you know the higher levels of um, Campbell's leadership and, and the people actually working on the factory floors. So guess what he did? He used emotional intelligence to basically uh, start to repair trust. As a new guy walking in, he didn't know anybody. So, um, and these were the days before we had these nifty uh, pedometers on our smartwatches. He strapped a pedometer to his belt and had a goal of getting 10,000 steps per day and just walked all around um, factory floors and started interacting with people. And it not only helped him uh, form those personal connections with some of his employees, but he understand the goings on throughout the company without having to just read about it or get reports. I would also put a human face on the, the company's strategy and direction, and he got to hear uh, personal concerns or you know, ideas from his different employees. And then to, to follow up on that, he would write uh, up to 20 handwritten notes per day of appreciation and send them out to his employees. And so he was reflecting on this in an interview not long after um, you know, his stint at Campbell's. He said, over the, the course of my 10 years in that, that role, I wrote more than 30,000 notes. Wow. And at the time, we had 20,000 employees. So that means that, that a handful of folks probably got two or three yeah. of these appreciation notes from, from their CEO. And he said what was really cool was that after he'd been there for a few years and, and was starting to repair this trust and dysfunctionality, he would start walking around and see people had posted his appreciation letters in their cubicles. You know, so I'm listening to this, and this is, this is a great story, and I'm thinking that a senior leader uh, of any rank would really listen to that and kind of know what to do or have an idea about what to do. But it occurs to me that that, that, that kind of a campaign or that sustained yeah. effort, it really isn't limited to a specific rank or, or leadership title, right? Absolutely That could be not. any airman in any duty section going to those efforts, right? Absolutely. And, and, and all that he did was show uh, appreciation, listen to his employees, um, and just try to be genuine. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, a lot of the issues that we have in um, the way that um, our, our hierarchy is structured is that there's not a lot of transparency and communication. You know, it's a, on a need-to-know basis. And so you'll have um, senior leaders making certain decisions that maybe to the person at the bottom of the chain don't make sense. But they're not there to understand the why. They're just, you know, there to be told what to do. 
problem is that we've got a generation of, of folks coming into the military who want to understand the why and the purpose. And there's a big spiritual component to that as well, I think. And so it, it, it's important to, um, uh, to explain this is what we're doing and why, and here are the other things that you know, maybe we considered to, to help to build that trust, to create that transparency, um, and to, to help people feel like they're valued and respected. And one thing as a leader, many leaders, like you said, come out to their organization believing that they're doing the best they can. Right. And you probably are, but if you're a leader, a suggestion I'd have, and I take this from the Army, the United States Army, um, for all their officers, they have them do a 360 assessment. Yeah. And it's on their officer evaluation report, their OER. My suggestion is this, the Office of Personnel Management, a federal organization, offers a 360 that you can get on your own, and it's very low cost, and you get debriefed by an OPM person. Again, it's, uh, this isn't a promo for them, they're a federal agency, they do this as a service at cost for federal uh, employees as well as wow. military. I'd say call them, get that done, and see what you don't see. I remember my first 360, I thought I was amazing. And when my 360 <laughs> came back, I was surprised that I was not. And a 360 assessment talks to people above you, your uh -huh. peers, and below you. And it's all anonymous. So when it came in, I was really surprised. And the funny thing is, I took that to heart and what it did hurt initially, sure. took some action steps, and I did four or five over the next seven years in leadership, mm -hmm. and I was amazed at how much I improved and that people noticed it without me advertising because I noticed that the changes were pretty substantial. That's awesome. Now, what would you say to people who might be afraid to get this 360 assessment because they don't want to see the honest results. And here's the thing, it's happening. Like you're, you are taking actions and there is a reaction to how you show up in our office, to how you say hi, all that has a reaction. So you can either let that reaction occur and act like it doesn't exist or assume it's a certain type of reaction or you can verify it and, and find validity. It's worth doing, I think, at least once in your professional career to find out what people really think of you. Yeah. And, and sometimes, again, it does hurt, and that's okay because you can take that and learn from it. And that way you don't think like, well, the reason this toxic environment exists is because of person X when it could be, unfortunately, maybe an aspect of your leadership. You know that I love 360s, and uh, there have been a couple times uh, when we've tried to get those launched in a big way. But, you know, here on The Pillars, we're big proponents of giving and receiving feedback so mm -hmm. have the courage to ask hey you know I, maybe I've gotten some kind of feeling that I might not be doing too good at this would you be willing to give me some feedback right and if someone doesn't provide an opener like that to you um, you know you might help them to understand the the value or the benefit of receiving feedback like mm -hmm. hey I've, I've got a couple of observations I'd be curious if you'd be interested to, to get a little bit of feedback from me the only caveat I'd say to that is that if, if there's an issue with trust in the in the unit that you know, people may feel, especially if you're asking your subordinates, they may feel really uncomfortable giving the truth to your face. So, so you know, having some kind of venue where you can um, receive anonymous feedback, yeah, I, I think it can be helpful. Now, what would we say to people who maybe aren't in a significant leadership role, who are uh, maybe suffering within, uh, in the midst of this toxic environment? What can we say to them to help them um, get through it and maybe even work to try to reverse that culture? I think that's a great question because I think a lot of people will find themselves in that place and not feel like they have the wherewithal or the power to kind of make any sweeping changes in the organization. And for, for folks who find themselves in that situation, um, what comes to mind for me is just decrease your isolation. You know, uh, go get support where you can find it. You know, you may, through your uh, interactions with people in other units or duty sections, find that they're not struggling in the same way 
and uh, that might be refreshing. But don't don't suffer alone. You know, Jim, you mentioned, you know, reaching out potentially uh, to governmental agencies that can assist if there truly is a toxic yeah, workplace. Like MEO but, or, absolutely. But I'm even thinking, go find healthy people mm-hmm. um, outside your duty section if, if they're yeah. not, with it, and, and and get that support where it's needed. Don't don't suffer alone. And if you are a subordinate leader, if you're an NCO or an officer, and this is happening above you. I viewed my job was to protect my people. So the section I was mm. in charge of, I didn't gossip or say bad things about this individual, and I took the brunt of it, and that was my job, and it was really quite difficult. Uh, but they noticed that as well, and they recognized it because you know, people talk. Um, so it is your your job to also not badmouth that leader, and it's also your job to protect your people. So if you're an NCO or you know your senior airman, you have some folks that work with you. Your job's to protect them, and again, making sure you're not gossiping. Like it'd be so easy to just join it in is. with that gossiping oh, too, sure. because you want to be included. You don't, you know, you be you become one of the complainers, right. and, and and it can be really difficult to break out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what you guys are saying is that um, the change starts with you, mm. and it kind of has to. Uh, to be willing to say, I'm not going to do these things that you know may be uh, immoral or unethical or even just contrary to a cohesive workspace. Um, that can be really difficult, but leading by example and um, gaining that perspective and trying not to take things personally, knowing that a lot of these... Which is hard. Yes, which is very difficult. But a lot of this is happening from an emotional um, place that you don't necessarily have to get involved with. So just to summarize, if you're in a toxic workplace, first of all, there are helping organizations you can go to. You can come to the ART. There are other organizations with the Air Force. But we ask that you really take a hard look at yourself and say, how can I deal productively with this? How can I learn from the situation? How can I help my leader learn? But also recognize you're not alone, that you have people you can go to for help. And if you're a leader, to really evaluate how am I influencing my work center? How is that how, is it being effective or not? And if it isn't, maybe check a 360 assessment. Find some way that you can assess your own leadership to see how you're showing up honestly. We want to thank you for listening to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing. I'm Chaplain Jim. I'm Dr. Reed. I'm Dr. Jerry. Until next time, we want to thank you for listening and hope you have a great Air Force Day. Thank you.